Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. We are back in Mark's Gospel this morning and our three big themes that we've been looking at. A king, his kingdom, and us following that king into his kingdom, otherwise known as discipleship. Our big idea for this morning, in fact, I'm not even going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to start us off with a question. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Throughout this morning, you're going to be asking yourself that question. Here's the rest of the big idea. Trials will show you where your faith is at. And in the midst of it, you must keep resting in and relying upon Jesus. But I have another question for you this morning. What is the opposite of faith? Now, now hold on. Don't answer it out loud, okay? I don't want you to get the right answer because that will ruin the whole sermon. Uh, But I also don't want you to look foolish, okay? So don't guess the wrong thing. I'll try to give us the wrong and the right answer. What is the opposite of faith? Is it doubt? Well, I hope not. I'll tell you why. I am someone who doubts. It's weird because I'm not even certain what I doubt all the time. Well, obviously, I I guess it's that I doubt Jesus. Yes, I know. I'm the one that is always saying, rest in the person of Jesus and rely upon his death for you on the cross. Specifically, I often doubt Jesus is with me. I don't doubt who he is. I don't doubt what he has done, but I doubt that he's with me. Maybe it's because I'm not seeing growth in my life. Um, I'm not desiring to read the word. Maybe I'm avoiding deeper relationship with God by avoiding conversation with him, prayer. And it's during these times when I look up and I see that I'm in that dark night of the soul. Or I'm in this long season of doubt. And it takes work to pinpoint exactly what the problem is. And it's necessary work. It's necessary work. Whether I'm waking up at 5 a.m. and I got the word in front of me and I just think to myself... What's the point? Why, why, would I, why would I wake up early for this right now? It's during those seasons when I have to, I have to lean back on Jesus. I've got to rely on the Holy Spirit. And yes, I have to, to really force myself. I have to forcibly drive myself back to the Word. And there I see that it's not the strength of my faith. That matters, but rather it's the person that my faith is placed in, namely Jesus. 
Said another way, instead of placing this gift of faith, we've talked about that, right? Faith and repentance as being given to us as inseparable graces, two gifts that cannot be taken apart from one another. Instead of placing that gift of faith on Jesus, I'm actually putting the faith in the gift itself, right? I'm holding God's gift, his gifts given to me above God himself. My faith and my trust are suddenly put back into my faith. I get distracted in life, and all of a sudden I realize that I am working for my salvation. Instead of realizing, like we already said, that it's not the strength of the faith that matters, but the person that it's placed in. So is doubt necessarily the opposite of faith? I'm going to say no. And you could even argue that faith and doubt, they go together. In fact, they're like travel companions, okay? It's normal. It's normal. Here in a couple of weeks, we're going to, well, actually, it's probably going to be next year, okay? Uh, We're going to see a father who is um, tormented because his child is tormented. Jesus asks him a very similar question, where's your faith? And he says, I have faith. Right? I believe. Help my unbelief. Another easy guess, and this one might be right, is faithlessness. Right? So, the absence of faith. And in our passage today, that's what the disciples are accused of. Where is your faith, Jesus is going to ask them. They're somehow accused of losing their faith, like they dropped it. I mean, the boat was rocking really hard. Maybe it fell out of their pockets, like so many copper coins. Faithlessness is actively, so you're doing something, and willfully choosing not to believe. You've heard the good news and you refuse to admit that it is good. You refuse to accept it. Instead, you choose to rebel against what you know to be true. And I think if we're honest, most of us go through seasons, days, weeks, months, years of our lives like this as well. If we want to be even more exact about our passage today, though, I think we could say this. Faithlessness today is going to work itself out in fear. So let's begin in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. On that day. Oh, is this the day of the Lord? No, it's not the day of the Lord. What day is this? It's the same day that Steve was preaching about. It's the same day that I was preaching in. Hold on, wait, are you trying to tell me that not only have we been 14 weeks in one book of the Bible, but we've been three weeks in one day? This is going to take forever, okay? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, okay, it might take forever. What day is this? It's the same day that Jesus was just standing in the boat teaching a bunch of parables. And so again, we see Mark immediately, right? He's pushing this story forward. He's pushing it forward. 
Verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat. Is it the same boat? Could be the same boat. Just as he was. And other boats were with him. All right, so this is, this is strange, okay? Just as he was, is this like, just as I am without one plea? Okay, no, uh, no, it's not just like that, right? Uh, just as he was. He was teaching, he was sitting down, and it's, it's honestly like all of a sudden they just put the oars in the water and they just start rowing away, okay? Jesus is done teaching. They're sailing off now. Um, but also in this, we see uh, this other little detail in other boats were with him. In the other Gospels, uh, Matthew and Luke, where this story is presented, that detail's not there. Why does it matter? Uh, here's one of the reasons why it matters. Throughout this passage, and as uh, Steve brought up, and as we're going to keep seeing in Mark's Gospel, uh, these little details tell us something about the person who is telling the story, right? It, it's telling us that they were there, right? On that same day, just as he was, we started rowing off. Um, but also, I think this tells us something else. It tells us that perhaps there was a larger group of disciples than just the 12, right? Jesus has been calling people to himself. And so you're going to need more than one boat to carry more than 13 people, okay? So I think that's what's going on there. But also, in a sense... It heightens the drama that's about to happen. And what I mean by that is this. If you've got waves crashing over top of you, not only are you all of a sudden concerned about your boat, but you're concerned about the boat next to you, the people in it, but also about that boat crashing into your boat, right? People sailing across this small sea together where storms are violent because of the mountains and the valley and okay we don't need to go into the weather patterns but we could and just say that the storms are violent and this storm in particular seems supernaturally violent it seems like this detail is there to say look these boats are about to be put into a blender and it's going to get dangerous verse 37 and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. The boat is literally being eaten by waves, right? And we've seen like cartoon drawings and kids' pictures of waves, and it looks like a giant mouth closing down on a surfer or a boat. And this is really what's happening here. The waves are eating it. And I don't know about you, but that's absolutely horrifying to me absolutely horrifying the first time that I was on a boat and this was in a large a very large bay it wasn't even in the ocean proper I think I was 21 okay um, I did not grow up near the ocean and it was I, I it was kind of cool it was kind of cool until I moved here to South Africa and then I started swimming in the ocean right and I suddenly realized how dangerous the ocean really was, right? And then, actually, we went to Robben Island once when we lived here. It was back in 2009. And um, I just remember, I don't know if I was supposed to be down there or not, but we were on the ferry going to Robben Island, and I climbed down to where the engine was, just watching, because you're basically right at sea level. And I'm just watching it. 
And all of a sudden, it just starts getting a little bit rocky. I'm not too worried about it. And then the next thing you know, there's just this gigantic wave. And it's, I'm, I'm not being dramatic about it, although it might not be how I remember it, okay? <laughs> um, it seemed like it was going to just eat the whole back part of the boat and that I was going to be washed into the ocean. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at this, and I hear some gasps from up on the second like deck, and I'm just like, wow, this is it. I'm going to die right now, okay? I cannot imagine being on a boat as the sun is setting with waves that are trying to eat you, okay? If you walk around like the Swahili Beach and then Sambai Beach here at nighttime, it's horrifying to look out onto the ocean, right? I mean, when you're in town, there's people eating, and okay, you're safe. But when you're walking out there by yourself, it's absolutely horrifying. I don't know about you, but I would have been going down to Jesus and saying, what are you doing? Wake up! Right? Like the sailors speaking to Jonah, you sleeper, get up! We are having to sort something out here. Verse 38. But he was in the stern, so he's in the back of the boat, asleep on a cushion. Okay. And they woke him. Oh, great. I'm not the only faithless one here, okay? They woke him. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And now I remember actually reading this, and it wasn't until this week that I read this over and over and over again. I'm like, no, this is, this is horrifying. I always just assumed that Peter was speaking in hyperbole, like Peter sometimes does, that he's talking loudly and largely about things. Really what they're saying is, don't you love us? You, we've been following you, and now you've brought us out here to die. Why would you do that? Much like the disciples here, I would not be calm, okay? I would not be peaceful. I would, I would, I would be wondering why um, we have been brought out onto the ocean to get eaten by some waves. And here's the other detail here. I'm scared of this, and I just don't go on the ocean, okay? <laughs> These guys, at least part of them, were fishermen that fished on this part of the sea often. They've been through storms. They've seen storms. They've survived storms. But this one, it does not seem like they are going to survive. And what does Jesus do? Verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. There's a lot of different ways this peace, be still, could be translated from the original languages. It's almost like, be peaceful and keep being peaceful. All right? Be still and keep being still. An older translation says, hold still and be dumb. Don't, don't speak, all right? don't eat, <laughs> just hold still. It's interesting, we see in Psalm 104 that we read earlier that God is the one that made the wind and the waves. 
It's in horrifying moments like this that passages like Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 and 2 seem to be a comfort. And John the Apostle says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Is the sea actually no more? We don't need to get into that necessarily. Although we do read about the new heavens and the new earth in Isaiah chapter 60 that all the abundance of the seas will come to God's people. So what are we actually missing out here in the new heavens and new earth? Is it the ocean? I don't know. What I can say is that it's the fear of the ocean that we're missing out on. We don't have to have this fear like the disciples had, like maybe you have had as well. We also see in Job 38, or who shut the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no further and here shall your, shall your proud waves be stayed. What's God saying to Job? Who's the one that did all this? Who's the one that made the sea? Who's the one that calms the sea? I am the one that does that. What is Jesus saying when he says, peace be still? He's not just calming the sea. He says, I am the one that made the sea. I am the one that calms it and makes it hold still. In the Old Testament, we do see some other people do this, right? We see Moses do it, Elijah. And yet, in both of those situations, they were told by God to do it. Jesus wakes up, hold still. I can't even make a cup of coffee when I wake up in the morning. Jesus wakes up and calms the sea. If you want to picture what's happening here, You can, you're free to picture it as smooth as glass because the language here insists that that's exactly what happened. The fear of the sea is totally gone. And then Jesus said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Would you be afraid? Have you still no faith? Again, another, there's actually, again, a lot of ways this could be translated. One thing that we could say is, it's like Jesus is saying, you have no faith at all. You're acting like unbelievers. Where is your faith? Is a more popular translation. Jesus could be saying, where is your faith? It was a gift to you. Where is it now? Did you lose it? So they were scared before. But verse 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Did they not know this already? 
Did they not know that the one that had called them to be fishers of men, the one that had called himself the Son of Man, the one that had done endless miracles, did they really not know who he was? It seems like, yes, this is a growing faith that they have. It's a faith that step by step, as they follow, they are seeing more and more who this Jesus truly is and what this promised Messiah, what he was truly going to do and who he was truly going to be. So the question they're really asking is, what kind of hero, savior, Messiah is this? I mean, we knew he was good. He was doing good work but we didn't know he was this good. It's like they're suddenly looking at Jesus and just like the fear of so many Old Testament believers, they were looking straight into the face of God himself and they were frightened. This is not something that you typically live from. Okay, we get it. Jesus is powerful. The disciples get it now. Jesus is powerful. Okay, sure. Um, Jesus is God. Okay, yeah, no, I know that's what the whole argument of these Gospels are trying to say. What, Pastor, what does this mean? Wade, what do you want me to think about this? Well, I think we need to go to another place before we really nail down all the importance of this passage. To really see not only the importance of who Jesus is, but then the importance of what this means for the good news that you and I believe. In order to do that, I'm just going to read from Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 41. You don't have to turn there. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And he answered them, This is a great answer. I would never want to hear it. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Whoa. (laughs) What? Where's Jesus taking this now? For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that he is the better Jonah, and you people are worse than the Ninevites. That's what he's saying. Should you be afraid? You should be afraid. I'm not going to give you a sign. The sign's coming and you're not going to like it. Okay, why why is Jesus talking about Jonah here? Well, one cool thing that this does is it kind of calms the question of, okay, what kind of fish was Jonah in? Um, Was it a whale? Was it a giant goldfish? You know, it doesn't really matter. What does matter from what Jesus is saying here is that Jonah was a real person. Because honestly, everything about Jonah's story is totally unbelievable. The fish, in my mind, is the least of the problems. 
The fish is the least of the problems. You've got the whole issue with the cows at the end of the book. Go read it, okay? What's up with the cows? You've got the Ninevites who are all Gentile pagans who hate God who get saved. A whole generation of them. The first, the first mass missions movement led by the prophet that didn't want to do it, right? Despite himself, he was successful. <laughs> but there's a lot of similarities that we're seeing here in this passage in Mark in the passage that we already read from Jonah. Uh, and these, I'm, I'm, I'm borrowing heavily from another theologian for this uh, because as much as I would try to make it sound uh, good, he made it sound better. Um, what are some similarities between these two passages? Well, first of all, there's people on a boat in a storm. Two of the main characters here, Jesus and Jonah, are both asleep in the boat. Both the boats seem to be sinking. In both situations, the sailors, those driving the boat, go to the sleeper and say, don't you care about what's happening here? Wake up! In both situations, there is miraculous intervention and the sea is calmed. And, in both situations... Those people that are present, the sailors in both situations, are more frightened after everything calms down than they were before in the heat of the storm. What's the difference? Well, you could say uh, Jonah gives himself up. What does Jesus do? He just wakes up and tells everything to be quiet. Okay, on its face, that's true. That's a difference. There's a couple of other differences within that. I think a question that we could ask ourselves about Jonah is, did he actually know that God was going to send a fish to swallow him up? Right? When the storm was calm, did he say, all right, guys, let down a rope? No, I don't think Jonah thought he was coming back up out of that water. I don't think he thought he was going to Nineveh once he jumped in. He was sacrificing himself, but with what motives? It's hard to say from Jonah. It is true, though, that Jesus did not sacrifice himself right there. But Jesus has calmed the storm of judgment that was coming down on you and on me. He did that by offering himself to a greater storm. And that storm is the cross when he offered up himself and took upon himself all of our sins. Another interesting thing here is that even Peter, we assume, is going to Jesus and saying, in our greatest time of need, have you fallen asleep? Jesus could have very well have said, Peter, in my greatest time of need, when I need your prayer, you're going to fall asleep on me. Christian, for those of us that know Jesus as our Savior, when we are afraid and when we are faithless, it's easy to look at the storms that surround us and to say, Jesus has fallen asleep on me. 
when the truth is, just as Jesus is saying to the disciples, there is a gift of faith that was given to you. Have you fallen asleep on me? Jesus calmed the storm. He calmed the wind and the waves. And though we still go through trial, there are trials in our lives that are meant to show us where our faith is. We, when we get lost in ourselves and we suddenly realize that our faith has been placed back on ourselves, or we get comfortable in our sin and we've fallen asleep in our faith, Jesus is there waking us up and he's saying, I'm going to calm this storm, but the greatest storm that you could have ever gone through, the greatest judgment that you could have ever suffered, I calmed that for you. Where is your faith? Trials will show you where your faith is. And trials will grow you in your faith, whether you like it or not. Keep resting in and relying upon Jesus. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your son Jesus. We are thankful that you are not only a powerful God, but you powerfully entered into our world and entered into our lives and you with power took our sin upon yourself and gave yourself up for us. God, as we, as we seek to be faithful to what it is that you have called us to as we seek to follow after your Son, Lord, we know that we are going to falter. We know that we are going to ask, are you sleeping on us? And Lord, it's in those times that I ask that you would grow us in our faith. That you would bless us with the knowledge that you, you don't go to sleep on us. That Jesus did not go to sleep on us. That Jesus is right there with us and we are following in his footsteps our king into his kingdom. God, I pray that you would give strength and speed to our feet as we follow after your son as disciples. And I pray that you would give us joy in the midst of hardship, yes, but especially once we've made it through the storm and we can see your faithfulness and we can see the ways in which you've grown us. Lord, we ask that you would not just let us flounder with weak faith. 
but that you would strengthen us and grow us. And as a church, we ask that you would strengthen us and grow us together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your son Jesus who died for us, the life that he lived for us, and the life that he has given to us. We pray this in his name. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.